Uh, I want to start off sometimes, uh, I don't know, what's happening these days is that, you know, if it gets to be the holiday, you want to send out family pictures. So I thought I would just copy off some of the, uh, the best family pictures that people have sent. Uh, it's kind of the best of the best. Um, I thought that was cute. I thought that was odd. I, I don't even know what to say about that. Certainly a homemade suit. Yeah, I think it may just be homemade. Yeah. I think that's possible. Uh, that's cute. Yeah, weird. Yeah, and then that. And you didn't think that they knew what they were going on. Uh, I thought that was good. And then uh, this sweet little girl. Who made her do that to the band? And then, finally, I, I like this one from, uh, oh, <laughs> so, wise man, huh? If I were one of the wise men, that's probably what I would do, is like, oh, I brought the gold, and then I would trip over a sheep or something, you know, scatter it all over. <sighs> okay. That said, uh, let me let me start with this with this story. Um, it's actually a picture of uh, Oliver Cowdery, not uh, Joseph Smith. We, you know, we have a photograph. And, uh, there's actually there's something always very compelling for me about this picture of Oliver Cowdery. This is a man who saw the Savior and was involved in a lot of things, and there's something very uh, endearing about that. But just want to start off with this story. Oliver Cowdery wrote to inform me, as Joseph talking, that he had discovered an error in one of the commandments, the Book of Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, truly, man, this is actually the last line of uh, section 20, verse 37. And truly manifest by their works that they have received the Spirit of Christ unto a remission of their sins. The above quotation, he said, was erroneous and added, I command you in the name of God to erase those words that, there, that no priestcraft be among us. Okay. I immediately wrote to him in reply, which I asked him by what authority he took upon him to command me to alter or erase, to add or diminish from a revelation or commandment from Almighty God. A few days afterwards, I visited him and Mr. Whitmer's family. Uh, John Whitmer's family fell into line with Oliver Cowdery. They believed that the revelation was an error. When I found the family in general of his opinion concerning the words above quoted, and it was not without both labor and perseverance that I could prevail upon any of them to reason calmly on the subject. 
However, Christian Whitmer at length became convinced that the sentence was reasonable and according to scripture, and finally with his assistance I succeeded in bringing not only the Whitmer family, but also Oliver Cowdery to no acknowledge that they had been in error. Okay? Now, I want to start with that as a backdrop. The Doctrine and Covenants is a marvelous book. Church history is wonderful to be able to read. We have the closest in history, the ability to look up close and personal at prophets and revelation and the, the establishment of the church. We're, we get to see all of that. I can't tell you how many times I've been to Nauvoo and to, I, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a church history-aholic. Um, and, and yet, part of what is fascinating for me about this church and about Joseph Smith uh, is the fact that this entire church with all of our traditions and understanding and our Mormonese and all of our language and everything that we know all came through the mind of one man. It all flowed through his head. A 19th century farm boy who then passed that information along to other 19th century people and, it's, and so what we're going to watch, and I need you to really see this, and we will really, I want to see, have you see the development of this. We're going to see a very rough church in the beginning. Uh, let's come back now to uh, the book that Richard Bushman wrote called Rough Stone Rolling. Probably the best and most uh, uh, comprehensive kind of the sociological history that, that we have on the prophet Joseph. But what you see is a prophet with warts. You see a prophet with a, with a temper. You see a prophet that made mistakes. You see a very, very human family. You see his father struggling. You see, and so there's a lot of times in there that people will take a look at church history and they will struggle a little bit because they see all of these foibles. Well, if we begin to see this, and part of what I really want to be able to do with this class this year is for you to be able to see how the inspiration of the Lord took very rough people, rough stones, and refined them over time. So that there were traditions then that would shock us now. There were things that they believed in the way that they did things that would have surprised us if we had seen that because it's not necessarily... But for instance, is anybody going to be offended if... If large chunks of the Book of Mormon came because while Joseph Smith had his head in a hat, would that be a, like a shocker to you? <laughs> Looking at the urine of Thummim and never even opening and, and leaving the blanket on the, on the plates and not even opening the plates for the day. But that's, parts of it happened that way. Well, part of coming to understand the, the absolute miracle which was Joseph Smith and the miracle which is the church and the incredible, marvelous work and wonder that is the Book of Mormon is seeing where it came from and whose hands it went through. To me, it's even a greater testimony when you see just how rough these guys were and how what traditions that Joseph was swimming against that we have what we have. That's marvelous. And here's the other piece. It is a true story, and I think I've mentioned it before, that Joseph did turn, at the, as the Book of Mormon was published, he did turn to David Whitmer and say, I think I'm done now. I did everything that the Lord has asked me to do. I think I, I'm finished. 
And David said, well, okay. <laughs> you know, and that's before Kirtland and the temple and Zion and temple blessings and all of, all the sealing power, the priesthood and baptism for the dead and quorums of the twelve. He says, I think I'm done. You get this sense that it's slowly unra unraveling, unfolding. That would be a different one. The church was unfolding for Joseph. The kingdom was unfolding. And as a young boy, he had no idea what it was that he was really doing. He was simply walking on a path in the dark and watching what it is that was unfolding around him. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's no different than our lives. They unfold before us as we go. Perfect. Learning line upon line. And great point. Even our, and that's the way our lives should be is that they will unfold on us and if we try and try and overgird them too much, we're going to miss so much. Uh, so, we're going to watch this and, and this will be a nice template. That's a good point. It's a nice template for our lives to watch the Lord know what He's doing and remember for Joseph, if he's thinking even, at, even on April 6, 1830, oh, we're going to have a little church. <laughs> It'd be a nice little thing here in upstate New York. To the point that at some point down the line, remember, he turns to the brethren and says, you have no more concept about this church than a babe in, in his mother's arms. This church will fill North and South America. It will fill the whole world. Well, again, to a group of rough-hewn brethren sitting around, it's like, uh, to quote a, uh, uh, a movie I was watching over the weekend, that's a lot of bold talk. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a side note. <laughs> related. If you want to understand how these guys talked and how they communicated and the language of the time, watch the newest uh, True Grit, the remake of the old John Wayne movie. There's a style of talking in that movie that as I'm listening to it, I thought they captured the language of the time, which was a more erudite way of, you know, I, 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 am, I am struggling in my, you know, I'm tired and I, and I am needing nourishment from you. And you know, you're just like, okay. It's not the way we would talk now. Yeah. Yeah. Which he probably didn't have that vision when he first got to be a prophet. I think that's a great point. They would have had a certain amount, and then, then he's sitting in a little uh, restaurant in Mexico, and he pulls out a napkin, and he starts jotting this, kind of drawing this smaller temple. And it's like it's coming to him, going, wait a minute, this could be, and away he goes. So, great point. That's what prophets do. Okay, so let's start with. Uh, Let's start talking about uh, the, the book that we're going to be looking at. Uh, and really where it comes from, if, if we go back to 1831, we have a conference of elders. It, it, uh, it meets on November 1st and 2nd in Kirtland. Uh, there's a decision made that these are supposed to be published, these revelations. There are 60 some odd revelations by now. I know we're jumping way into the future. Uh, but uh, the preface of the Book of Mormon comes about uh, a, a couple of years in here. They decide that they're going to publish them. 
there, like I said, there's some 60, 60 odd revelations at that point. Uh, you recall that uh, we're going to get it when we get to 60, uh, section 65, 66. That, the, that some of the brethren didn't think the revelations were that hot. The language isn't, I could do better. And so the Lord issues a challenge. Let the brightest among you, the wisest, you write a revelation. Well, William McClellan was dumb enough <laughs> to spend that night, November 1st, trying to come up with his own revelation. Uh, on November 2nd, he came back and said, that's kind of hard. <laughs> Harder than I thought. And so then they approved the revelations uh, that they had done. Uh, section 1, uh, the preface, was actually dictated in that meeting. Joseph received a revelation from the Lord. It says that he sat near the window and he would very carefully write a line. He would speak a line. Oliver would write it down, would repeat it back to him. That's correct. Here's the next line. Then he would dictate another one. Oliver would write it down. Oliver would dictate it back, repeat it back to him. That's how he received a lot of these revelations. Section 76, when we get to that one on the three degrees of glory, took all night. Sidney Rigdon comes staggering out of the John Johnson home about 8 o'clock in the morning. He's been up all night trying to write this magnificent thing. He pooped. And he started off with the spiritual thing with the, with the vision in the first place. So, so that's what's going to occur 1831. Uh, it's going to happen in the John Johnson home. Anybody know in Hiram, Ohio? Anybody know the history behind why the John Johnson home? I'll have some pictures of them later things. But. <coughs> when they first came to Kirtland, uh, Joseph did some preaching. Sister Johnson uh, had, a, had a withered hand. Joseph healed it on the spot. She had this immediate healing. She invited he and Emma to bring the family and live at their home. They had about 13 acres uh, out in Hiram. About, have been, been to the John Johnson home Hiram? How far? About 20 miles outside Kirtland? Something like that? Yeah. The area where Joseph's going to be dragged out in the middle of the night and uh, I think Sidney Rigdon got brain damage and yes, that's a story for another time. Um, but that's where, they, that's where all of these things occurred. Okay? So, we're now going to print it. Where are we going to send it? Where's the only printing press in the church? It's in Independence. So we will then we will then send it out in 18. Uh, immediately after that, we'll send these revelations out to Kirtland. Uh, they will spend about 18 months typesetting, trying to prepare about 3,000 copies of what they were calling the Book of Commandments. Uh, you recall the story there that in July of 1833, uh, the uh, for a variety of reasons again that we'll get into uh, that the mobs then. Uh, on about a two-night period, we'll first attack all through Jackson County, and then and then farther up in Jackson County that night, part of it will be uh, pulling all of the, the press and the typesetting and the furniture, which is the little pieces of wood that hold the typesetting uh, on there. They'll pull all of that into the street and burn it. The stack of, of all of these sheets that they were preparing, 
They have about 100 copies that have been printed by now. Um, are laying there in the street, and remember the story of the two girls, Elizabeth Rollins Leitner, uh, and another girl are going to kind of make a mad dash, grab the stuff up, and head for the head for the cornfields to try and hide. And they're able to hold on to about 100 copies of what was called the Book of Commandments. That's why that, what you're seeing there, I know it's really hard to read on the site, it says, uh, Wilford Woodruff. This was his copy of the Book of Commandments. Uh, the Book of Commandments is the most rare book in the church. Yeah. Have you seen the copy in the SMU library? Of the Book of Commandments? I didn't know there was a copy in the SMU library. I've seen one in the uh, Church History Museum in Salt Lake. It was, it was given to one of the sisters for them stating the papers. And somehow it made its way to the SMU library. You, you go in and Oh, yeah, it's in the, oh, real, white. Did you get to hold it? Yeah. Get out. <laughs> okay. Road trip. Anybody know how, uh, how many copies of the original uh, first edition Book of Mormon there were? <clears throat> 5,000. Okay. If you wanted to buy it, Every year, a few copies of the Book of Mormon comes available. This first edition, anybody know how much those are running for these days? About 100000 You can have your own copy of first edition uh, Book of Mormon, uh, printed by E.B. E. Grandin, uh, for about $100,000. I don't even... The Book of Commandments, because there were only 100 copies made, is easily doubled that, or more. This is the rarest book that we have in the church. How many do they are still out there? We knew that there were 100 copies, but, but that's why I say only every now and then do one of these things become available, and there aren't very many. That's why something like that is just so incredibly rare you can't believe it. And the ability to actually hold that thing and be, go, go do that thing. <laughs> that's very cool. Do we know whose book, have you said whose book it was? As a result of, of saving the people, uh, it in there. We are so going. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so remember, what they're going to do then is that they will then have these hundred copies bound, and they go out. This is the Book of Commandments. Uh, they will kind of start over. And so in 1835, we will get the first uh, copy, because then they're going to get another printing press in Kirtland. Um, the, at this point, and this is going to be called the Doctrine and Covenants. It's in the Book of Commandments. It's going to be the Doctrine and Covenants because there are two parts to this book. The first is the Doctrine. Anybody know what the Doctrine was? Huh? No. Not Section 20. 89. 89. No. Remember what had just been happening. 1836, the temple is going to be dedicated. Joseph is going to try and get these rough brethren ready for temple blessings and to enroll the church out from the temple. And he's got to begin to uh, get them ready by a series of, by a school that he opens called School of the Prophets. The text 
for the school of the prophets is called Lectures on Faith. That was written in a combination of Joseph and Oliver. Will be Lectures on Faith. When 1835, they're going to put this together, they will take the Lectures on Faith, will be the first part, that's the doctrine. The Revelations of Joseph Smith is the covenants, the promises, doctrine and covenants. Lectures on Faith will remain in the Doctrine and Covenants until 1921, when Heber J. Grant will, will say, this is good for instruction, but it's not necessarily Scripture. And he'll take it out. Okay? It uh, says, Church of Christ, what it says today. Where? In the book? Mm-hmm. Yes! It did. Because they were still calling themselves the Church of Christ. Often. You know, even though in section 20 he's going to say Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's how often they refer to themselves as the Church of Christ. Yeah. Interesting, huh? 1844, just when the, when the prophet dies, he's preparing a second one. It has more of the revelations in it. Um, 1876, a year before Brigham Young dies, he updates it, and it's amazing to me, I have to tell you, I was really, the amazing part for me when I was studying this is the things that were included in the 1876 version that weren't in any other version up to that point. Like, sections 121, 122, and 123 from Liberty Jail. Church. (laughs) Angels. Uh, but there were a lot more revelations added uh, from 1876. Uh, the the lectures on faith were taken out in 1921. Anybody know the next time there are changes in um, in the doctrine and covenants? Before that, yeah, 1980, where we're going to add sections 137, 138. Okay. So, and then we've gotten the proclamation on the family. I mean, I mean. Did you, did you add any Joseph uh, uh, Yeah, that's section 137, 138. That's 1980. Yeah. Interesting to note, though, that those things that we were just talking about, Revelation mm-hmm. some of the other things are not a section. Right. Yeah, the proclamations, and they're, they're bound in there. Exactly right. So I guess the reason why I wanted to take time to do this, I want you to see a church that's unrolling. I want you to see in the Doctrine and Covenants this living, breathing document that's being added and it's, and it's growing in, in our... And we could have we have more revelations added to this, but most of the church is in place now and we're not necessarily needing new revelations all the time. Good question. Why did section uh, Orson Pratt was the one that started putting these into uh, chopping them up? But it's interesting that yeah, I think that's old language. To be honest with you, I think that that's my best guess. What was the question? Why are they called sections instead of chapters? Or why are they called Revelation one, Revelation three, and Revelation? Yeah. Yes, it is. If you look through there, you're going to find a number of these, including the uh, 
the manifesto on polygamy, and the second manifesto, which is, no, we really mean it. Stop it. Doesn't matter even if you're in Mexico. Knock it off. That, yeah, that's what I say. In addition to that, it's one of those changes where we actually have one as big section of it being taken out. Yeah. It was the uh, John Taylor. Uh, the prophet? The writing on the death of the prophet. Who was that at? That, that's in there. That, that's section 135. Yeah. And 134. 134. So when? When? 1844. After the death of the prophet. Yeah. Yeah, so that one is going to be added because that thing was about ready to go. I don't think that was included in the 1844 edition, even though it came out a little bit later that year. I think that I think uh, Brigham Young added that in 1976. Okay, good stuff. All right, all right. That's it. So, any questions so far on, on where all of this came from? To me, it's just it's fascinating. But for those of you who aren't really as much into history, it's like. Get on with the doctrine. Okay. The Doctrine of Covenants is the only book on the planet where Heavenly Father wrote the, wrote the preface for it. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Okay, let's look at, let's start off with verse 6. Who's got, who's got verse 6? Who's feeling in fine voice? Yeah, okay, thanks. Behold, this is my authority and the authority of my servants and my preface unto the book of my commandments, which I have given them to publish unto you, O inhabitants of the earth. Ah, okay, so, listen to that. He said, okay, here it comes. This is mine authority. What does he mean by that? I have authorized this. This is my authority and the, and the authority of my servants and my preface unto the book of my, my commandments. Joseph Smith is not making this stuff up. This is my commandments. Uh, now, Ahead of this, I want, I want you to look at, if he's going to be talking, what is he going to be talking about? Look at the very first few words of verse 1. And I, and I love this. You're going to take the entire book of the Doctrine and Covenants. The very first word in this book is what? Hearken. Okay. What, use some other words for hearken. Listen. Listen. And? Do. It's not just listen, it's hearken. In other words, listen, hear it, and do it. That's hearken. Okay? When we get to section 25, we'll talk about what I call the, the hearken dilemma for women in the church coming out of the temple. How do I hearken if he's not hearkening? Hearken, O ye people of my church. So he's going to talk to the church. Then look at verse 2. 
Verily the voice of the Lord is what? Unto all men. So you got this little group of guys that are deciding, here are these wonderful revelations the Lord said, and by the way, I'm speaking to who? Everyone on the earth. That's pretty pretentious. You know, it's a little bit like 14-year-old Joseph, or 17-year-old Joseph, and, and the prophet, or the prophet Moroni is saying to him, your name will be known good and ill all over the world. I'm just a boy in upstate New York. You know, there is this vision that's coming. So, so hearken, O white people, and listen, because these words are to go out to uh, all men. And three, the rebellious will be pierced with sorrow. And then, if we could actually give this, this name, there's a number of synonyms we could use for the doctrine and covenants. But look, look at uh, verse 4. We could also call the doctrine and covenants what? Voice of warning. So listen to these words. Hearken. Listen. Warning. Um, look at um, down at uh, oh, verse 12. What are we supposed to do then? Prepare. The Doctrine and Covenant is about hearken and listening and, and being warned and because of that we're going to have to do something important and that is prepare for what is coming now. Let's hop down for just a second to verse 17. And now you're going to get why there is a sense of urgency in what the Lord is preparing, even though this is this is 1831. Who's got who's got 17? Get that. Wherefore I, the Lord, knowing the calamity which oh stop. <laughs> I, the Lord, knowing the calamity. Whoa! What is a what's a calamity? You heard of Calamity Jane, right? A catastrophe? An evil? A what? Troubled times? Let me read to you the 1828... Let's see... 1828 Webster's. Which is always interesting. If I want to understand a word... In, in Doctrine and Covenants, it's always good to go to the 1828 version of Webster's. Because it gives you an idea of, because the Lord is going to speak in language that, first of all, these guys are going to understand. And we sometimes have to translate that a little bit to now. Okay? Here, here's Webster's 1828 version. A calamity is any great misfortune or cause of misery generally applied to events or disasters that produce extensive evils such as a loss of crops, earthquakes, um, but it is applied to the misfortunes which, which bring distress upon individuals. Okay? So when he uses the word 
where he's going to say, I the Lord knowing the calamity. Bad stuff is happening. Hearken, prepare, get ready. Okay? Okay, when do you want to finish the rest of that? The calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth called upon my servant Joseph Smith Jr. and spake unto him from heaven and gave him commandments. Okay, isn't this fun? Think about if, you're, if you try and bring a group of young men and young women together. Okay? We have a bunch of teens. We've got the youth sitting in front of us. And, and we're going to say unto them basically, knowing the bad stuff that's happening, the Lord loves you enough to give you what? Commandments! I love you enough that I'm going to do what? Give you more commandments. Is the last thing you really want to hear is more commandments? As a teenager, you're anxious. Oh, please, give me more rules. I would love that a lot. Thank you so much. I want rules. But even as adults, aren't we saying, do you really want to say, congratulations, you're going to go to general conference and you're going to get like 30 more rules. Won't that be great? The Lord loves you enough to give you tons of commandments. <coughs> Anybody kicking against that a little bit? Then the last thing you really want is more rules. I always remember when I'm teaching people in the mission field, it's like, okay, uh, church sounded good so far. Yeah, awesome. Let's give you the rules. Here comes the commandments. You can't, you can't, don't even think about that one and don't do this either. Well, exactly. I, I can't even do these. You're going to give me more? But, it, but listen to what the Lord said. Because I love you and I know the calamity is coming, I'm going to give you... Oh. And, and so the good news, how am I going to get the commandment? I'm going to give you a prophet who's going to tell you what to do. <laughs> and I'm going to call it for the strength of you. And we'll call it for the strength of you. <laughs> yeah. And it just got updated. There are more rules. Okay. I just think that's it's fascinating to me. Now, I want to, I want to mention a couple of things about this calamity. Because the Lord is specifically saying there's a calamity coming. Now, remember what we found with the, the Book of Mormon is how layered everything is. That prophecies always have layers. And you've got to be able to look at all the layers to really understand what the Lord is saying. This idea of a calamity has layers to it. Okay? Let, let me give you one. This is uh, Harold B. Lee. Uh, and he's actually going to be speaking about uh, the dedication of the, of the main uh, granary at uh, Welfare Square in Salt Lake. He says... The Lord has given us in this day a greatest organization upon the face of the earth with His power and authority to direct it. He has given us sound principles. He has shown us the plan. By way, the way by which want and distress may be done away among us. He has shown us the way 
to brotherly, brotherly love. By the way, uh, Harold B. Lee came to prominence as a state president doing what? Welfare. During the height of the Great Depression, he was a state president in Salt Lake. And he's the one that started putting together the welfare principles of the church then kind of took church-wide. Okay? If the afflictions, and uh, which of, I always liked Harold B. Lee since he married my parents, so that was a good thing. <laughs> if the afflictions which have been predicated to come upon us, they will come upon us because we have not kept the faith, because we have been disobedient, we have thrown away the opportunities which our Heavenly Father has given us to prepare for the day of calamity, which he foretold over 100 years ago would come into this generation. I remember at the dedication of the grain elevator in 1940, hearing President McKay in an inspired and prophetic prayer utter these words. May this edifice of service, a contribution of love, and as such we dedicate it unto thee, and ask thy blessings to attend all who have contributed to its erection. And all who may contribute to the keeping of these bins filled with the wheat, now listen close, which is considered necessary to be preserved preparatory to the judgments that await the nations of the earth. Oh. So, at one level, what is President Lee saying this calamity is? Judgment. Judgment in what way? Famine. Physical calamities. Wars. This is 1940s. Any calamities happen after that? And think about the wars that have been almost continuous since 1940. And all the calamities that are coming. Yeah. I think of weather too. Tsunamis. Droughts. So what we're talking about is that this part of this preparing for this calamity is a very physical, temporal type of thing. Okay? Get your food storage ready. All of those kind of things. And be ready to help those around us because there are major calamities coming. That's part of what he's talking about. And it's a voice of warning, preparation, get ready, here it comes. Now, why oh, didn't put it in here? Let me mention one other. See if I've got it here. Oh, here it is. Good. This is uh, this is uh, Bishop Keith McMullen speaking in uh, General Conference. He says, even more devastating. However, and he's actually, man, this is a member of the presiding bishopric, and so he's talking about all the needs that we have as church members uh, to get ready temporarily. Even more devastating, however, are the calamitous forces of evil 
which buffet us continually in accordance with the prophecy of 1831 peace has now been taken from the earth the devil has power over his dominion his beguiling ways are mesmerizing the people temptation is on every hand now let me just ask what kind of calamity is pressing down on our youth moral in what way how's he doing it this is a calamity pornography is one and the ease of pornography pornography has been around for a long time but it's never been two clicks away Yeah. And we cross that line. So I just tolerate. You 
they want to say they accept, accept it, that should that should be just as okay as anything right. else. It's okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think we always need to ask the question: What has the Lord said about whatever it is that we're talking about? You know, in regards to um, gays, immorality, or whatever it is. But then there's the other side of the issue that we're told to love people, and we do need to love people. Isn't that funny? I mean, look at, j- jumping ahead, and, and then, Barney, we'll get to you right in a second. Uh, on that line, we're talking about that we need to be taller, and by the way, we do need to be loving and not mean towards people that are, that are struggling with things like this. And we do struggle sometimes. Sometimes we can cross over into being intolerant. Uh, I, I know that's true. Okay? However, listen to, listen to the language of the Lord in verse 38. What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken. And I what? Excuse not myself. We can love somebody and say, I love you, but what you're doing is wrong. It's not okay. But I will do everything in my power to help you. I'm not going to ostracize you. I'm not going to be mean to you. But it's not okay. Let me help you change. How would you help someone change if they were gay? Okay. It doesn't want to. Uh, right? Let's get into that one. Hold on to that one. Ah, the Tim Tebow effect. My sons and I were cheering last night when he scored the touchdown. Uh, uh, and and that, that's a pretty good thing to say. Here we have a Christian quarterback who's probably a little bit over the top sometimes in, in proclaiming this, you know. But there, it's amazing, you're right, Barney, that the kickback and the hatred coming from people that say, and, and you know it's not just, well, we don't think he's that great a quarterback. A lot of, well, he's that Christian guy, and he keeps kneeling and praying on the sideline. We don't like that. There is a, you're right, there's a sense of intolerance. Yeah, and that's the thing that I find on the other side often is that for them there's no tolerance. You're going to say things I don't want to hear, that's hate speech. If you're going to say something, uh, so you should have to listen to me, but I shouldn't have to listen to you. And in Mormon Times, it was talking about this, it was talking about the, uh, on the other side, Kobe Bryant and uh, some of these actors and actresses, how they go on far and how they're idolized by. Yeah, I know. There's a double standard here. Okay, so, I want, I want uh, there's a beautiful reason, and, and this is the one that we ought to take a look at. Um, and, and by the way, uh, if, you, if you actually happen to download the PowerPoint, we try and get this out uh, usually on Saturday or Sunday. Okay, I can do the best I can. The only downside with that is that people request that we do that earlier and, and get it out so you have a chance to study and get ready. And I, and I love that you do that and I hope you keep doing that. The, only, the one downside to that is sometimes inspiration gets like Sunday night. On Monday morning I add a couple of things to it. So, so what we're just exchanging emails, we probably need to have the most updated version of the PowerPoint. Ultimately will be a thing on the website. So I'll probably get it to you maybe sometime again. Really, I will. <laughs> but this is, 
What I want to do here was not on the original PowerPoint I sent out. That's what I'm saying.
But I want you to take a look. The, the Lord in His preface here is going to give us, uh, when He says, there, there's calamities coming, I love you, and I love you enough to give you commandments. Now let's look at the purpose of why we have commandments. And by the way, I think this is helpful for you, as well as for us when we're looking at why do, why do we have these commandments? What do we do with them? The Lord's going to tell you why He gave you commandments. Okay? And it's going to start... Here's what the Lord desires. And it's going to be verses 19 through 23. There's a calamity coming. Prepare ye. Prepare ye. Get ready. I'm going to give you the tools to be able to handle it. So here's the Lord's desires. That, because you're going to get, in 19 to 23, you're going to get a series of that's. And you might even want to mark all the that's. And then, he's going to explain, and then you're going to get a series of ands. And those are the things that says, and this will be the result of this. Does that make sense? That, here's, the, here's what I want, and here will be the result. Okay? Now, that... Every man might speak in the name of God. Ooh, that's kind of cool, isn't it? What happens if every man speaks in the name of God? Wow. And, and by the way, Second uh, Nephi 31, if, when you're baptized, now you can speak with the tongue of angels, therefore you speak the words of Christ. You've been baptized, you can speak with the tongue of angels, and you can speak in the name of God. It, it, yeah, if you look at the structure of how he's got it, um, and you know what, I should have added that one. You're right. No, you're right. And I wish we had time to take time talking about the weak things of the world. He's going to tell the weak people. That man should not counsel his fellow man nor put trust in the arm of flesh. Do we do that? Which arm of flesh are we most likely willing to trust to our detriment? Our own. We're most likely to trust our arm of flesh. I should be doing this. I should fix this. I should be... Rather than be able to say, I'm going to trust him. I had a, uh, I had a client over the, this last week who said, she, she wrote out a, uh, this is my two-line statement of my goal for the year. And I always hesitate a little bit. I was like, well, I'm sure this is what this goal is. And it was, in essence, she said, rather than trying to become perfect, I will trust in his perfection. I will trust in the Lord's perfection. The fact that He is perfect means I don't need to be. The fact that He's perfect which means I trust His perfection and if I trust in Him, He'll lead me to where I need to be. Beautiful. I'm just, I'm, I'll steal that. that that's going to be my goal too. My goal this year is to trust His perfection. Part of that is trusting the Lord. The other part is trusting His perfection. He knows what He's doing. So when we talk about trust in the arm of flesh, it's not just trusting in other people, but it's trusting in our own arm of flesh to our detriment. 
Does that make sense? Uh, I'm glad you pointed it. You're right. That that should have been that there. Should have been the first that there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of. Yeah, that's right. I love that uh, walking by the lamp of your own conceit. We're gonna. I'm gonna walk my way into the darkness based on my great light. That every man might speak in the name of God. That faith made all also increase in the earth. That mine everlasting covenant be established that the fullness of my gospel proclaimed. Isn't that cool? And, and listen how it starts. If you're not going to trust in, in your arm of flesh, there's some, some sequentialness here. You're not going to trust in your arm. Every man's going to start to speak in the name of God. Because of that, faith increases. And when faith increases, what happens? There's a covenant that's established. When there's a covenant established, then what happens? Then the fullness of the gospel can now be proclaimed. Isn't that cool? Watch how this thing slowly unfolds. This is my preface. Okay, now, that's his desires. So here's the that's. Therefore, I gave commandments unto my servants. And which servants? The weak ones. That would be us. You know, the ones that aren't sure we can do these callings and the ones that aren't sure that we're going to be that. We're a horrible parent. Or the one, you know, I'm, I'm that weak servant. Everybody else is smarter. No, guess what? You've got the commandments. I need you. Therefore I gave these commandments to my servant in their weakness. Which, by the way, I just find it fascinating. Those that attack the church, and they're going to take a look at Joseph Smith, what are they going to find? Weakness. weakness. They're going to point out his weaknesses. Okay. He had a weakness and he was human. Cool. And these wonderful, marvelous things happened through him in spite of all that. That's a greater testimony to me. Point out his faults and I'll tell you how great the church is. Isn't that awesome? He was, if he was just this amazing, charismatic, uh, smarter than everybody guy, then it would have been about him. And it wasn't about him. Even though by the end of his life, he, he was far more amazing than, than ever, ever would have believed he ever would have been. <laughs> okay. That, that's right. Okay, so therefore I gave commandments to my servants, and as a result, now here comes the second part of this, inasmuch, therefore, when, when we have a group of people that won't trust, in order to get ready for the calamities, if we have a group of people that won't trust their own arms, that are going to speak in the name of God, not their own, their faith has increased in them, they've established the covenant, Look at what now happens. Fascinating enough, what's going to happen is, when they err, it will be made known. If you're Joseph Smith, and you, and you're, and you have these revelations, and they're going to print up these revelations, 
revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants. Don't you kind of want these edited out? Can't you think of some of these sections in the Doctrine and Covenants you kind of like not there? You trusted too much in the arm of flesh. You weren't listening to me. Your kids are running amok. <coughs> Doctrine and Covenants is full of jokes. Let's stop that. And he left them all in. In the same way that Moroni, or, or Nephi, when he's writing his, his story about the Book of Mormon, talks about his struggle with whether he's going to kill Laban or not. If it's his stuff, he just leaves that stuff out. But the Lord wanted that there. Okay? Now, if they err, it will be made known. If they seek wisdom, what? Let me instruct it. Just be humble. Don't trust in his, in somebody else's arm. If they sin, they'll be chastised. They'll be chastened. But if they're humble, and listen closely, and here it comes, but if they're humble, then what happens? They'll be made strong. What else? They will be blessed and... Yeah. <clears throat> so, in a nutshell, the Lord's preface. What is the purpose of the Doctrine and Covenants? Why do we have it? And it's right in the Lord's preface. To make us better people. And if we are, and we begin to trust in the Lord, then what's going to happen? We're going to be made strong. The weak will be made strong. What else? We will be blessed. And most powerfully here, what's going to happen? You're going to receive knowledge. Knowledge to do what? Whatever that's going to be. And specifically, you'll be able to speak in the name of God. You'll have greater faith. You'll help establish the covenant in your life and in the lives of your family. And you're going to proclaim the gospel. And so that means that you're going to be able to share those blessings with those around you. Isn't that cool? He kind of knew what he was doing here. Shocking, huh? So how are we going to do this? Verse 36. So those people filled with this knowledge and understanding that are doing all of these great things. Uh, verse 36. And also the Lord shall have power over His saints and, and shall reign in their midst and shall come down in judgment upon Idumia. What is Idumia? Weird. The world is I do me. How come it's called? How come I do me is called the world? Okay. It's another word for what? For Edom. Remember Jacob and Esau. Okay. Here's Jacob, where the where the covenant blessings are going to flow through Jacob because his name would be changed to Israel. Okay. 
his brother Esau. Esau was a little mad, was a little anxious about what? Dinner. He wanted the pottage. What color was the pottage? Red. Red pottage. Red guy. Okay. And he's going to go down and he's going to establish the, the city of Adam, A-D-O-M, which becomes Edom. And he's going to do it. He's going to establish this land on the south side of the Dead Sea. And it's going to be the, the area of Edom. Or the Edomites. Idumia is the Greek word to that. Okay? Now, that's what this was a very wicked people. They weren't Israelite. They weren't Jacobish. Uh, and in olden times, this was called, if you were going to run, uh, if you were going to go between the two big bullies on the block, Babylon, Assyria here, and Egypt, you would follow what was called the King's Highway, and it was a highway that would run down through Edom, right down through Idenia, on its way to Egypt. That's the King's Highway. Okay? So, that means that if, as we travel, why does it say, I will come in judgment upon these people. As Latter-day Saints, we're talking about tolerance and stuff like that, Every day when we walk out of this building, when we prepare our kids for school and they go out, where are they walking? In Edom. In Idemia. They're walking the King's Highway. They're walking through a land filled with this non-Israelite-ish wicked people. This is what we're doing. We're walking that path. So he says, I will give you power as saints if you're going to do this and be prepared so that I can give you faith and I can give you power and I can give you knowledge so that you can do what? Walk the king's highway through Edom and not be harmed. That's why Nephi in 2 in, uh, in, uh, Nephi 4 is talking about Lead me on the low road. Let, let, keep me on the right path as I walk through the King's Highway. It's kind of a, it's, it's symbolic by, by the mist of darkness that we're going to be following along the, the rod of iron while the mists are there. Okay? Alright. So if we'll do that, he's going to come on judgment. That's not up to you to do that. Then he's going to say, and listen closely here. Here's the other thing that happens with these commandments. And I need you to kind of see this for what it is. And this is really my, I know the number brethren have called this one kind of the Lord's preface. I like this phrase actually a little bit better uh, even than that. Because he's going to say, search these commandments for they are true and faithful. Then he's going to tell you something about each one of these commandments. What's contained in them? Prophecies and promises. I love that. What would what would we say to and these are called these are the book of commandments, right? What happens if we can say to a youth or to our family that says, 
If you're going to understand a commandment, if you're going to try and live this commandment, what must you also understand about a commandment? It has, it has two parts. It has a prophecy and a promise. Every command that, commandment He gives us has a prophecy and a promise. What about the word of wisdom? There's a commandment. Don't eat this, don't drink that. Don't smoke that. What's the prophecy? Walking on faith. And what's the promise? Great knowledge. Great understanding. And yeah, all of, can you hear those? And if he's going to say, okay, you need to stay morally clean. There's the commandment. What is the prophecy? What is he prophesying will happen to those that are morally clean? You become like him. And what's the promise? <coughs> You'll be able to receive the Spirit and all the things that come with that. That's why I say, when we start taking a look at commandments, always look at the prophecy and the promise. Unfortunately, what happens with our youth when we're going to say, knowing the calamity that's coming, the Lord's going to give you more things you can't do. Here's more, here's more stuff that you can't do. How many times are we going to say to somebody, here's the commandment, here's the cool part. Let me give you the prophecy and the promise that goes with that. In, in reality, in an ideal situation, all these commandments and rules that we receive in this life, we heard before, before we ever left our thoughts. Oh, we know this stuff in here. And if yeah. we were in our right frame of mind, in a perfect situation, when we hear the when we hear these, we would go, it would be a comfort and a relief to us. Oh, thank you for more of this right. stuff. Yes, yes, yes. I mean that's a perfect situation. But but our but our natural man does what? <laughs> I want to do it myself. I want to do it my way. I will be happier doing it my way. I know that God said do this, but that sounds kind of boring. I want to do this. I am smarter than him. Or he says I will be happier. I don't think so. Or I know I'll probably be happier later, but I want to have happiness now in the short run. Because I think, because what's going to happen here is that when I start living the commandments, it's going to be boring and it's not going to be here So in other words, I really don't believe that he says there's no wickedness happiness and stuff, because I think there is. Basically. Isn't sometimes though the exact opposite also true? That in the church there are many people that rely that they have the law. And they obey the law. Yeah. They follow the law. Yeah. But they don't stop to get the testimony of the Book of Mormon. They, they're perfect. You know, it's like I love to get the youth to read the scripture. Because they'll stand up and they'll perform the scripture. Yeah. And then you ask them what it means. No, they were in performance mode. They weren't in understanding what they were reading mode. They have to go back. Oh, what did I just read? That's back in switch brain. And I just, I just had this fear. Yep. It's probably because of myself that if I fall into this, I'm obeying, you know, I'm, I check all the boxes today on mine and, and not have not have the person. If I'm going to try and live the gospel, 
And I'm going to try and live all the commandments and I'm going to do it without a testimony of the promises and prophecies. This church ain't much fun. This church is an incredible lot of work with a lot of callings and responsibilities and stuff and no testimony to go with it. Oh, that, that's just three hours of misery. trying to live with, without any of the promises and prophecies and the testimony that goes with it. Yeah. I like to uh, tell my kids that, you know, well, you're in a situation where, you know, family's going through this and that, basically you had to And, and, and isn't it But the Lord says, but I gave you these commandments really so that you'll have joy. And to help protect you from the calamity that's coming. But without that understanding, it's just a lot of do's and don'ts and I can'ts and that, that gets really old. Yeah. Really, what I've learned is that the commandments aren't so much to bring you joy, it's to really bring us closer to our Heavenly Father. And His joy. And Him. Therefore, it makes it actually simpler when we have a relationship that we will turn around and naturally obey these things and just do these things and it won't be like a checklist. It will just be who we become. Doing it is a joy because we're doing it because we love Him and it's natural. It's a natural part. Perfect. I, I, I love that. Okay. A um, couple things. Uh, uh, oh, I know what we're trying to do. we got five minutes. Section 130. One final point. Put on your seatbelts. We're going to do this one quick. Section 1, verse 30. And also those whom these commandments were given might have power to lay the foundation of this church. And they did lay the foundation. And to bring it forth out of obscurity and darkness. Okay, now, this is a dual, there's a dual prophecy here, and I need you to see both of this. Okay, real quick. Top layer. Ironically, as the restored church comes out of obscurity, by the way, is, is the Mormon moment about to continue on here? If I'm a betting man, I, the chances of us having a, a Mormon presidential candidate who's going to be under incredible scrutiny and not just everything he's ever done and said, but it's the church also that's going to come under the scrutiny. Buckle up for this year. The church is going to be out there in neon. 
Yeah, can I support, and now you're seeing the articles, can I support a Mormon? Because here's who Mormons are. The Mormon minute is going to be a Mormon year. Yeah. Which book? time you start doing that, the, the books they suggest are like... challenges will actually disclose further the distinctiveness of the church. So in other words, what's going to happen is we as members uh, are going to be watching a church that is going to be kind of broadcast to the world and have a very high visibility. It's coming out of obscurity and it's coming out of darkness. And thinking, you know, in, such, in, in 1831, But listen to, what, listen to what Neil Maxwell... If Neil Maxwell had a theme through his entire life and everything that Neil Maxwell ever taught, it was about discipleship. How to become a disciple. Listen to this one. Nevertheless, matching our behavior more closely with our beliefs... That would be kind of a good thing, wouldn't it? match our behavior with our beliefs <laughs> will bring relentless reminders about the ongoing duties of discipleship. The restored gospel is as buoyant, wide, and deep beyond our comprehension. It edifies whether concerning divine design in the universe or stressing the importance of personal chastity and fidelity. Only meek disciples can safely handle such bold theology. Okay. Let, let me just add this to that. We talk about the church coming out of obscurity. But if you are living the commandments without understanding the promises and prophecies associated with these commandments, you are in obscurity. You are living in darkness. And you are going to be miserable. Part of the church coming out of obscurity into light is your own personal life coming out of obscurity into light. That's the deal. You're going to come into brightness. You're going to see it for what it is. And then the commandments become a joy. Because I want to be like Him and that's the life He lives and I, that's exactly what I want. Our lives have to come out of obscurity ourselves. Does, does that make sense? Okay, so let me finish with, oh boy, this was good too. Nah, okay, we'll finish with this. Joseph, uh, finish with the words of Joseph Smith. Prophets, priests, and kings have looked forward with joyful anticipation to the day in which we live. Fired with heavenly and joyful anticipations, they have sung and written and prophesied of this our day. 
And you want to look at it and say, well, this, this life at the moment is this hard, you know, an Armageddon and inflation and, you know, okay. Have sung and written and prophesied of this our day, but they died without the sight. And all of their dispensations ended in failure. We are the favored people that God has made choice of to bring about latter day glory. It is left for us to see, participate in, and help to roll forward the latter day glory, the dispensation of the fullness of as our lives come out of obscurity, the church comes out of obscurity. The greatest blessing to this world is our lives. We are the church. It's not, a, it's not an organization. Uh, uh, it's not a set of buildings. We are the church. And as our lives come out of obscurity and darkness, we will shine to other people. And when we do that, this dispensation of the fullness of times will be filled with all the prophecy and promises that it was I bear you my testimony that this book, with its power and its knowledge and understanding, will help us capture who we are and what the Lord intends us to be and what He intends the church to be as a light on a hill in these last days as we're traveling through Edom. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.